Okay, thanks for joining me, everybody. And thank you to my new friend, Brandon Etheridge, uh, for joining me as well. Um, Brandon is the Director of Multimedia Services at Auburn University. And we have not exchanged uh, too many messages. So you're a relative stranger to me for the most part. Absolutely. That makes it more fun, right? Yes, but you're in the higher ed social media and, and marketing community. So I feel like we're, we're very closely connected and we're friends already. The best clubhouse on the internet. Can't beat it. It really is. Yeah, I, it really is. So um, yeah, thanks for joining. I'm really interested in learning about you know, your career and, and really all the work that, that you're doing. So uh, give, me, give me some ideas to what the Director of Multimedia Services does uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, so I kind of handle um, pretty much all of our digital platforms, excluding our website. So um, I manage our social media, okay. um, any video content that's created, audio, you know, podcast type things that we do, all of that kind of falls under me as well as those fun digital displays that are all over campuses now, um, those I get to wrangle as well. So I kind of handle everything online except for our website. Okay, cool. So uh, you've got your hands on, on a lot of different uh, pieces of technology, applications, platforms, um, and that can, I'm sure that's a lot to juggle at times. It is. You know, it's kind of fun though. I've, I've found for the most part, I've been in my role for almost two years now and uh, when one is, is peaking and I'm having to spend all my time on one thing, everything else seems to, to die down. There's not been too many times that they've just all crashed and burned at once. So that's been really helpful. <laughs> that's also a good thing that they haven't crashed and burned at once. Right. Uh, I mean, that would be a, a true test of your stress capacity. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. How, many, how many gut punches can you take in rapid succession? Right. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So you've been doing this for two years. Uh, where, where was your, where was your entry point into the, the marketing field? Where did you, where did you get your start? Yeah. So, um, I actually went to Auburn. So I'm working at my alma mater, which is a really cool, um, kind of opportunity to have being back at, you know, the place that I, that I went to school. But, um, when I was in school, I was originally planning on, uh, being a reporter, being a TV news anchor. Uh, so okay. I worked for two years during my undergrad as a reporter and anchor for the local ABC affiliate that covers the, the Auburn area, which is over in Columbus, Georgia. Um, and so I worked there for about two years. And then when I got out of school, I worked there for about six months. And I said, this just isn't for me. You know, I really enjoyed <laughs> it in school, um, but doing it full time. And I actually, I graduated on a Saturday and then got married the next Saturday or graduated on a Monday, got married the next Saturday after, after I uh, got out of school and wow, being newly married and working all kinds of hours of the night doing uh, uh, TV news was, was not necessarily conducive to what I was, you know, wanted to do in family life and all. So there happened to be a position open back at Auburn, uh, specifically in the college that I graduated from. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, Oh, you know, I'll apply and kind of see what happens. And, it kind of worked out because I did, as a reporter, I did a lot of social media, did a, right. obviously a lot of video production, uh, being on air. And so it kind of, those, those two worlds mesh really, really well, just kind of thinking about the audience a little bit differently in marketing than I did in news. So was your degree in, in journalism or communications or? So we have a, we have a program uh, called Media Studies at Auburn. It's, um, we have a journalism program. And then media studies is kind of more of a general overview of, of okay. the 
industry in general. And, and that's kind of where I ended up landing. Um, and so that was, it, which honestly ended up helping me as well, because I got a little more than just the journalism side, which, which mm -hmm. ended up being really helpful for me. You know, I found that a lot of folks in uh, higher ed social media marketing, they do have a journalism background or a comm background. I have not met very many with uh, like graphic design degrees, which is right. me to a T. <laughs> and I, I found one other person um, and that's it. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see how people enter the social media center and right. what their disciplinary background is. Uh, it seems like everyone's got a different specialization. Absolutely, yeah, I'm so thankful that we have a graphic designer in our office because I would crash and burn without her. <laughs> <laughs> Please, we just look at the things that aren't like super big projects that just need something quick for social. I don't care if it's just a, a two second thing we're putting out, I'm like, I just need you to look at it real quick because this is not my thing, so. Right. Knowing your, knowing your lane and what you're good at is, is, is very important. <laughs> so uh so you were you were doing the the news anchoring uh i'm assuming you got to travel a bit with that see different parts of the the region and in your communities um uh, how did that shape and mold the work that you're doing now on the social media front you know i think one thing that that i've seen because i've worked with some folks uh that are in other areas on campus that did not come from a news background and i think the one thing that really helped me um you know, you, you're always thinking about in news what your audience wants to know. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not just about putting stuff out there to put stuff out there. You know, you're, you're trying to answer questions. You're trying to, you know, in my case, I was trying to build the following on, on my personal Facebook page that I right. had uh, as a reporter. And it, it was a lot of building community with these people, answering their messages at two o'clock in the morning. And there was <sighs> some bit of, um, I guess, urgency and expediency to it that, higher ed is not necessarily known for. Um, and I think those are things that are helpful because it's, you know, with higher ed and or really with any marketing, you know, we're not just competing against other institutions. We're not just competing against who people see on a daily basis. You know, we're competing with Apple. We're competing with right. Nike. We're competing with everyone because that's the content that's being consumed on a day-to-day -day basis by everyone. And so they expect that level of um, whether it's responsiveness, whether it's, um, you know, design or aesthetic or, or whatever. Right. Um, it, I think putting that thought into it and, and knowing that that's who we're competing against is, is really, really crucial. Um, you know, when we're trying to stop the scroll for, for our audiences. So how many scrolls does it take for people that tune out, at, so they load the, they, let's say they load their feed up, be it Facebook or Twitter, how many scrolls down do they go before they just disengage or move on? What do you think? You, you know, I, I'm <laughs> sure there's a very uh, calculated answer to that. Um, I'm just going based on, you know, kind of what, what, what I consider when I go on social, you know, I scroll and, and a lot of times my, it drives my wife crazy. So I know I'm somewhat unique in this. I'll just sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll until something catches my eye and then I'll stop. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, no matter how disengaged someone gets when they're scrolling, there are things that will catch their eye. And it may not be the same thing for every person. Um, right. But that's one thing that I've started doing since I, since I started managing social for the college is paying attention to what is it when I, when I'm, when I'm scrolling that just makes me stop and say, wait, what was that? Mm -hmm. um, and what are those things? You know, for me, I'm a little, um, 
uh, squirrel, you know, kind of just. <laughs> right. I found the, the bright, shiny objects get me. If something's red or like a neon color mm -hmm. that catches my eye, you know, I love what um, uh, Spotify does with their um, kind of end of the year wrap uh, that they that they do for all of their users. And we actually right. did kind of similar this year where, you know, we, we got a little bit away from our, our normal brand guidelines, but still kind of stayed within them and created something that was a little brighter, a little flashier that really encapsulated for us. We were, you know, wrapping the last 10 years since we were closing out the decade of cool things that have happened in the college. And uh, there were some good successes from that one, learned a couple things that, that I will not do again. But, um, I, you know, I think just finding things that aren't the everyday that someone is seeing from you is so important. Yeah. If they see the same thing from you over and over and over again, they're going to start tuning out because they think they've seen it before, even if it's different. Yeah. And that helps that, that declutters your feed that helps cut through the noise. So, you know, to your original point of all the different types of brands that are out there that we're competing against, you know, having that unique perspective on develop on content strategy is incredibly valuable. Um, and the energy it takes to consistently produce that unique content is I'm sure draining. Um, What's your sort of uh, process to uh, to create unique content? You know, I think part of it is one really knowing your audience and knowing that your audience is not the same on every platform mm -hmm. is so so important. I mean, you know, me, I've got a, a social media intern that works with me in my office, and one thing we talk about all the time is we can use the same story on every one of our platforms, but we right. can't present it the same way on each one. You know, That's I know right. that I've got a large contingent of faculty that are following our Twitter that don't follow our Facebook, but I know that I've got a ton of alumni and donors that are following Facebook and they're not on Instagram. And I know I've got a bunch of prospective students and current students on Instagram that aren't necessarily either of the other places. And you know, there's overlap of course on right. all of those, but I think when you start looking at really trying to differentiate your content and saying, okay, well maybe a video tells this story best on one platform and an article tells it best on the other and a really captivating picture tells it best on Instagram, it starts kind of pushing you out of that, that zone and saying, okay, let me really think about the content I'm sharing and the way I'm sharing it and what it says to the audience. And it really kind of, helps you elevate what you're doing and the, the creative behind what you're doing um, and just your, your overall strategy in general uh, becomes a lot stronger. I think when you look at it different ways, more so than just communicating the right thing to the right people, it's getting the right, you know, images and the right, right. tone and all of that to your audience is, is really helpful when you start thinking about it differently that way. Yeah, I mean, you got to talk differently to the parents than you do the students. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> That's sort of what my relationship is between Facebook and really Instagram. I, you know, I, I run marketing for the undergraduate business college at Pitt. And, you know, we found that mostly parents are on Facebook. Most of the students, be they prospective, enrolled, um, or nearly graduating or on Instagram alumni, younger alumni too. And then Twitter just kind of exists. <laughs> right. I think, yeah. you know, and I, I felt really bad, but I, I explained it when we were working on our strategy for this year. I said, I feel like when I post to Twitter, I'm just screaming into the void. You know, yeah. there's, um, if, if you can't have, and, and this is one thing I think that, especially in higher ed, I think we're one of the, the really unique, uh, kind of industry sectors that, that this deals with. 
higher ed accounts, it's hard to have the kind of sense of humor that does really well on Twitter. You know, Wendy's does really well. They're sarcastic and it's what mm -hmm. people eat up and they love it. And I, my college can't have that same kind of personality on Twitter. Right. Um, you know, there is some level of, of professionalism you have to keep, but we actually did. Um, so we manage the college social and then we help our Dean with his as well. And we've actually had a lot of success giving him personality and some of the tweets that we've helped him with that have gone just stupid viral that were just funny ideas that we had. And we kind of use him as that, that personality that mm -hmm. we would like to have as the college, but maybe need to keep it a little bit more professional for what Right. We're doing. Good on you for having a willing participant for that. And I am honestly, I cannot say enough about how cool he is about just saying, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds fun. I mean, we had, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how much y'all in Pittsburgh pay attention to, to the Iron Bowl, the Auburn-Alabama football game every year. That's one of the greatest rivalries in college football. But a couple of years back, uh, we won the game with an extra second. Um, Alabama missed a, missed a field goal. We had a guy in the end zone that carried the ball back 100 yards. Just epic ending to the game. Well, something similar happened in this last year's Iron Bowl. We had an extra second left. The, the circumstances were a little bit different, but the one second went back on the clock, and we ended up winning the game. <laughs> Our, it was the second. I mean, it's just incredible. The NCAA has since changed the rules, so that can't happen anymore. Right. Um, but we had the dean put out. It was right. It was that game is always uh, right the Saturday after uh, Thanksgiving. So we come back, and students have you know a couple of days, and then they're in their finals. So I was sitting on the couch the day after, um, still not believing what happened the night before. And I said, oh my gosh, I think this could be really funny. And so I texted my boss and I said, hey, I'm working on this idea. See if we can get the dean to do it. And we created a, a graphic uh, that, you know, looked like an official statement from the college that said from, you know, the desk of Dean Joe A. Strip. And it was letting students know that they had an, you know, Auburn students obviously perform well uh, when every second counts. Uh, for that reason, I'm adding an extra second to each of your final exams. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, it was, it was one of those things I was like, oh, this will be funny. People will enjoy it or whatever. We got the best feedback from that of anything. I mean, we were in Sports Illustrated a couple weeks later in, in one of their little subsets. I mean, mm -hmm. articles by all of these major news organizations that just from this little tweet that we put out, I mean, I think we had close to a million dollars in um, uh, earned media value off of. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's definitely the high. I mean, don't think I'm a genius. That's been the highlight of, of like everything that I've done since I've been at Auburn is, is, is that one tweet. So I just, I cling on to that one for now. Well, I think you're a genius, but that's not relative. That's not, you know, important at the moment. Uh, that's another podcast, but I, I think you, you should give yourself some credit because you had said like when you were doing the news and you had your own Facebook page, like you were communicating with people back and forth at all hours of the day. And what I learned from you saying that was you understand personal branding, period. Uh, you get the, the value uh, that is created um, when you can cultivate an interesting personality online. You know, you did that with your stuff and then you're doing that for your Dean and it's obviously paying off. Yeah. And I think too, and if, if anyone gets anything out of what I say, I think this has probably been one of the biggest keys to our success um, in the college of liberal arts at Auburn 
is we, you know, I, I, and it's joked about in higher ed social a lot, you know, hey, make this viral or uh, this flyer go viral or <laughs> I've got to tomorrow, make it go viral. And obviously we all know that's not how that works, but it, I've found it really successful. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we want our students or our donors or our faculty to hear from us. There's, there's messages that we want, you know, we want to put out the message that we've got top notch research and we want to put out the message that we've got students doing these great things after they graduate and that our donors are just, you know, right. The, the, the best thing that the, in the world and they all are. But if we're only putting out the message that we want to get out, nobody is going to pay attention to it. We've got to, you know, balance that with, I'm going to give you some of what you want and then you're going to take some of what I want you to have. And so, you know, we try to do fun things and break it up. You know, we did a, a quarantine choir where the, the choir sang um, our alma mater a couple of weeks ago and, and the video box is like, has been popular and we've done, um, you know, just funny little things on our Instagram story. There's a, mm -hmm. you know, national pet day. We've got these storm drains on campus that these random cats live in and people <laughs> okay. on our campus like feed them and bring them food on a regular basis. And so we, we celebrated National Pet Day by talking about Drain Kitty, as it's known. And, you know, it's just a little <laughs> thing. absolutely nothing to do with liberal arts, nothing to do right. with the college. But it's something that people will care about, that they'll connect to, that if you've been one of our students, you know about. It, it's not doing anything for us, per se, you know, in promoting the message we want, but it keeps you paying attention, keeps you engaged right. with our accounts. And when we're ready for you to have, you know, that message that we, we need you to, to, to hear from us, you're engaged and you're there listening. That's one of those cultural touch points that you have to have had an experience there, particularly as a student, in order to appreciate that. And I, I love this because I think every university has something like that. Right. Um, and it's like, where on how insane is it on the on the on the spectrum, right? Like right. how how bizarre can you get? And I've I've heard of some some things that are just very peculiar but like nevertheless they're they're legendary and uh so you've got drain kitty right is it just one cat so i know there's just one that lives next to our building from what i understand <laughs> there's three or four maybe on our campus i think okay. there's one in the engineering area one over near some of the dorms um but they're cool i mean they won't come out they won't touch you they won't Play. They're not cuddly cats. They just hang out in the drain. And if you look down at the right time, you'll see them looking back at you. Wow. So I have two ideas for you and okay. feel free to use them. I, they're probably very worthless to you. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, we actually have eagles living on the towers in the skyscrapers downtown, right? Wow. And we put uh, the like the local news affiliates. They put cameras on the building so people can watch the eagles every morning. Sure. Um, so you could do that, but with the drain cats. I love right? it. Yeah. Um, and uh, damn, I, I forget the the second idea. Oh, I know what it was. So uh, the the puppy bowl. Do you know what Do you know yep. what that is? Yeah. So like when. You know, maybe it's homecoming. You do a puppy bull version, but with the drain cats, and you make a little football field for them, and put the camera on them, and then just have them run around. I don't know. So we actually, uh, one of our, <laughs> our 
apology. Uh, Don't so, humor me, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. That's what the Puppy Bowl reminded me. So we've got a psychology professor that uh, works with, we have what's called the Auburn Dog, and most of the dogs that you'll see at airports sniffing your luggage and whatnot are Auburn Dogs. They were trained here. They are canine performance okay. in the vet school, work with our psychology folks, and they're, they're figuring out what the best dog is and what traits to look for and how you can tell which dogs are going to be good at that. And so we have all of these cute, cuddly dogs that, you know, we get when they're just born. Mm-hmm. And I said this year, I said, when we get ready, you know, get near the, the Super Bowl and they do the puppy bowl, I'm going to do, there was a video that came out last year of cats in a, um, like a Rock'em Sock'em Robots uh, wrestling ring. I said, I'm going to do yeah. that with the dog. I'm just going to put them there and just let the camera roll. And it'll be, <laughs> you know, that's one thing that I found too. There nice. is you know, you will work on a project for six months and it will not do near as well as this stupid thing that you spend mm-hmm. 15 minutes on. It's the most annoying thing ever, but it, it happens every time you do something really stupid and it takes you five minutes. And it's like, why did I spend six months on this other thing? You want to know, I, I personally believe that's because the thing that is strategically built over time already exists. Yeah. I, I can tell you right now, I'd much, I would rather watch a five-minute video of Drain Cats than your finest promoted or produced piece. For sure. It's because I've seen it before, and, right. uh, but I haven't seen Drain Cats. Right. I smell an animated sitcom with that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll get our film on that. We'll, we'll start working on that when we're back. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you could, uh, uh, there was a company here in Pittsburgh that was really internationally known. Like all they did was animate animal faces to talk like humans. That's That's it. That's all they did. And they got to Hollywood and they made a sitcom and it lasted like a season and then that was it. So I feel like maybe this drain cats thing could be, you know, their, their comeback. For sure. Send them my way. We'll do it. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, what does your team look like? Who's, who's a part of your team and what are, what's unique skills do they bring to the whole? Yeah. So we have, we, I I can't say enough about our team in my college. We've got, I think the best marketing team out there. Uh, We all are really good friends and work really well together. So we have Mm -hmm. um, an executive director, uh, her name is Wendy and she kind of coordinates our office and, you know, kind of is the in-between between us and the Dean and making sure we're, we're making his vision come to life of how he wants the college to be represented. Um, so she's kind of the, 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 the top dog in our office. And then there is, we have one person that primarily focuses on uh, written content. Uh, her name is Vicki. And so she does, and because of my news background, we work together a little bit on part of this. So she does everything written, um, and, uh, Wendy helps her with that some as well, but we also are kind of in the, in a, an aggressive campaign on getting our faculty out there and, you know, letting them be seen for the experts that they are in their subject areas. And so we spend a lot of time working with, uh, the media on, you know, placements for these folks and, you know, whether it be a, a national news network or, you know, the local CBS affiliate just trying to get their name out there as experts in their field. And so we spend a lot of time interfacing with them because I know so many mm-hmm. folks uh, from the, the journalism world since I right. worked in, in this area recently. Uh, I get to help a little bit with that, which is fun. It still kind of scratches that itch that I have for, for media stuff. Um, we have a graphic designer 
uh, Adrian that is incredible. She kind of designs and builds our magazine that we put out, our, a lot of our content that goes to prospective students. Um, honestly, anything that looks good, she's probably created from our office. She's the best. Sure. Um, and then we have uh, a guy named Sean. He is our um, web guy, I guess will just be the, the word I used to describe him. He kind of really handles everything website related. We're actually going through a process of rebuilding um, our website from the ground up right now. So that's kind of his baby. Uh, we have two grad students that work with him. And then I've got an intern that does social media and I've got an intern that does um, video production work. So cool. got a, a fairly small team, but a really, really effective team. And we all kind of overlap just a little bit, but are separate enough that we all kind of have our own lanes that we, we work in. See that that's good. So you're a small close knit team, but you're robust on the skill sets. Plus, yeah. you know, looking at the Venn diagram, like you guys have some overlap and you know, one of the things that I always communicate to my design students, to my marketing students, is that if you're a marketer and you can write, awesome. You need to go learn how to design. For sure. I don't need you to be a good designer. I need you to understand the language. Mm -hmm. Much like I say to my design students, I know you're a great designer, but I need you to be a good writer or at least learn how to write because I need you to be able to have transitional skill sets that will ultimately make you more marketable and valuable in positions that you're looking for, but will also ease the burden of communication in, in terms of interpersonal working, especially if you're on a team. So like if, if you can speak some of the graphic language, some of the web language, then things are made a bit more plain mm -hmm. and you're spending, you're actually spending less time communicating and more time working and ultimately that will yield into better quality work for right sure. yeah for sure. you so, know, and i think it it makes it makes things i guess jive a lot better in our office you know i'm never going to be able to create the graphics that adrian could make i mean she i i just can't my brain doesn't work that way but I can get about 50% of the way down the road on something that I need done and say, Hey, can you tweak a couple of things? Sure. And it's not going to be something she has time to do the whole project, but she can tweak it a little bit. Or I do a lot of our communications, uh, digital communications with our uh, prospective students uh, through email marketing. And mm -hmm. on the back end of that, it's a lot of code base. And, you know, I took some classes in undergrad, you know, actually one class in undergrad, and I know just enough code to be dangerous as yeah. a web guy would say. And, you know, he sits in the, the cube next to me and I'll say, Hey, something's wrong with this div. Can you just come and look at it? I don't know where yeah. I put a comma that it didn't belong. And because that's always the issue if you're dealing with code, just yes. type, always a comma in the wrong place that you don't see, but <laughs> it, it, he knows what he's looking for when he comes over versus me saying, I don't know, something, something's wrong with it. It's not looking right. You know, it gives you that ability to, to communicate what you need. So you're getting what you need quicker and they're not having to waste all their time helping you. Yep. I actually teach web design. Uh, I've taught it for the past decade and more often than not, I would say like 90% of the time, maybe more, uh, students have issues with divs and CSS because of typos. For sure. All the time. They're just, I mean, and admittedly, like those are hard details that you just kind of gloss over because there's so much text, right? There's so much code. But um, see that, you know, you knowing that, and I would say knowing some of it, but respecting all of it 
I, I would say makes a huge difference when you're working as a team because you know like we may have different uh, views on what makes good aesthetics mm -hmm. but we can have that conversation or you could defer to that expertise or I could defer to your expertise so that's that's really optimal uh, types of interaction I would say yeah, and that, you know, that's one thing that I think is really important to working in, in a team like we have, you know, we, and we, we ask everyone that we interview this, you know, how do you take criticism and feedback? Because we yes. give it to each other all day, every day. And it, it is something that we crave from each other. You know, we're in the, like I said, in the process of redesigning our website and uh, Shauna created two different versions of our faculty, um, you know, their, their faculty page and how we want it to look and we're kind of modernizing what we're doing with that. And so he brought out two and he was dead set. He knew which one we were going to say uh, we liked. And so he brought it over to me, had the printouts and he showed it to me. And I said, I think I like this one and this is why. And he said, oh, okay. I, I said, well, what did you think? He said, well, I thought it was going to be the other one, but luckily <laughs> we have an odd number of people in our office. And so right. he goes to the next person and asks them and I overhear and they said the exact same thing that I said, and for the same reasons. And I was like, oh, this is hilarious. So then we all started traveling around the office together, hearing what each other said. And mm -hmm. it was really funny. All of us thought one thing, except for him on that one. And then there's been other ones where we're split down the middle. And it, it's just, right. we can respect each other in that we have different opinions. But I think having those different opinions is what gives you a better product in the end, as long as nobody's getting their feelings hurt, because mm -hmm. someone disagrees. And, and, you know, we don't, there's been so many times where I've been dead set on something and everybody else disagreed. And I was like, you know, I still think that was right, but it is very clear that five of you don't think that. So I'm down with it. And right. you know, you've got to have that humility, I think, to be able to, to be successful in a creative environment um, mm -hmm. and get things done. You know, one of the things that I deal with, especially when teaching art students is having to build, build them up. They need a thick skin. They are entering a competitive industry. And in order to succeed and prosper, you have to have a competitive edge. You have to be ambitious, but you also have to suffer the blows. You know, the, the, you know, when someone doesn't like your work and they tell you why, you have to be able to absorb the shock of that and then redirect it positively towards a solution. And um, I, I have a lot of design uh, educator colleagues that just have the damnedest time working with some students because they cannot handle constructive criticism. Yeah. And uh, I kind of have to tell them like, you know, it's possible that they may not be cut out to be a designer. And that's okay because they can do other things that aren't competitive. So I think just to get on a soapbox for a second, like, when you're in design school, the professors are always saying you need to get a job in an agency, agency life, ad agency, design agency, um, instead of saying in-house design departments or in-house at a college or university. It's okay to be a production designer if you want, where you just make things that other people conceptualize. That's totally fine. So, you know, from the onset, I think design students have an unfair, um, you know, pressure put on them. But to your point, like being able to take that constructive criticism and to take it well actually proves how much of a professional you are. Um, and, you know, if, if you can suffer the worst of what people have to say about your work and then turn that around into a positive and actually, you know, make a revision that's good, then, you know, you're going to come out much more, much better on the other side of that 
but you're also going to be a bit hardened and that's going to help you produce better work more quickly. And it also helps create that, that one-to-one understanding of these are the things that Brandon looks for. I need to account for that upfront. So that constructive criticism also takes the ego out of the work and makes it better. Yeah. And I'll say too, you know, if you're, someone's listening and they struggle with that, go work in, in TV news for a little while um, and let, you know, everything that you do in your job is broadcasted to a thousand people that think they could do it better. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it, it very quickly takes you out of your, uh, your comfort zone. I mean, I've had Facebook, people do Facebook lives for 30 minutes talking about how much they hate me for stories that mm-hmm. I've done. I've had government officials trash. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I guess that comes from that background of, you know, I've, there's nothing that my coworkers can say to me that's any worse than what these people have said to me when right. I worked in TV. And I, I think that's probably helpful. Um, but, but yeah, it's so important to have a thick skin. And cause the thing is, is at the end of the day, one, it's not personal, you know, because someone doesn't like your design doesn't mean they don't like you or think you're a good designer. They just don't like mm-hmm. that design. But two, and especially in higher ed, you know, 90, 80, 90% of the time, no one in our office is our target audience. You know, we're, right. you know we've got um, our alumni that may be, you know, maybe some of the same age, maybe a little bit older, maybe in a different life stage. But a lot of times, you know, we're talking to, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And then our, mm-hmm. our students up to, you know, 21 per se, 20, you know, 23, somewhere in there. None of us in our, I mean, thank God we have interns, you know, right. that kind of keep us on our toes and, and, you know, honestly, higher ed social helps with that as well. Kind of seeing those trends from across the country before they necessarily hit our campus. But yeah. you know, we're not that, that, that key demographic. And I think that's important to remember is just, and, and, during our, our web redesign process, that's one thing we've continued because we're doing it with shared governance and, and working with our faculty that, you know, are, are English faculty or music faculty or, you know, whatever. They're, they're not necessarily experts on this. And like, well, I don't like mm-hmm. that. It's like, I get it, but this is our key audience. This is who we're reaching for. And, right. and knowing that and understanding that as a person that works in this every day is so helpful. But being able to explain that to people that you're having to deal with, because marketing never does anything in a vacuum. You know, there's a thousand people that have a, an opinion on, on what it is we're doing. And some of those that have an opinion that matters and yeah, you've right, got to be able right. to communicate to those people, you know, yes, it's not the comfortable thing for you, but this is who we're reaching towards. And this is what the research tells us. And, and it, it disarms a lot and, and it makes a lot of people realize, Oh, okay. It's not a, it's not a personal thing at me there's a strategic reason. And that's especially what I've learned in this web redesign process, even though, you know, I'm not the lead person on that is Mm -hmm. always go in with your data, know what the research says. You know, if you have audience research, market research, whatever, going in with that and leading with that information first makes everything a thousand times easier because you can always point back to, well, this is, you know, we're making this decision, especially, you know, for us dealing with faculty, faculty are very data driven. A lot of them are researchers, you know, all of them are researchers. And you yeah. can point back and say, well, this is what the research says. And it makes it less of a, oh, I like the way this looks and more of this is what this leads us to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the unifying point. So, um, you know, data sets strategy. Data dictates narrative. Data does this and this and this. Um, and if you're dealing with faculty people that don't appreciate data, from a research perspective, then they're clearly biased and, you know, you can't really, 
you might not be able to use a lot of what they have to say. So, yeah. Uh, so having that objectivity, especially, you know, if it's data supported objectivity, I mean, that gives you the best case, the most fighting chance to make the design decisions that, that you need to make. For sure. And I'll go back to, to social a little bit on this, you know, making your, your strategy be driven by data. I, you know, I know there are certain days during the way I know that Friday. Uh, so tomorrow, if I'm going to put something on Facebook specifically, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee it's going to tank. Um, we have terrible audience um, interaction on Friday. However, I know that there are certain things I can post no matter the day that mm-hmm. will do well, no matter what time I post it, no matter, you know, there's, there's certain, we, the aviation school is part of our college and the, yep. the alumni are fierce and they love their program. And if I post anything that mentions the word aviation, I'm going to have a good day on social. And, you know, mm-hmm. those are important things to know because you can balance a lot of that, um, the, the, the pitfalls that you would, you would come into, you can kind of balance that out. And if, you know, I may not have a great Friday, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to tank out on the, you know, I'm not going to have no interaction either. I can kind of right. at least, you know, flatline for the day. It's important right. to know that thing. Know what makes your audience tick. You're, you'll, and the data behind it, I mean, you will never go wrong. <laughs> when in doubt, use your evergreen subjects. Yes. To, to raise your confidence and, and your engagement analytics. Yeah. For Pitt, it's the Cathedral of Learning, which is this amazing uh, building that, that we have in the center of our campus. Um, but uh, switching gears, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So a lot of students that had internships, um, you know, lined up for the summer uh, or even had job offers uh, come to them and they, that they've accepted uh, because of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, um, those internships are being postponed, canceled, job offers being rescinded. So you and I, I mean, and our colleagues, we have a lot of designers, a lot of marketing students, a lot of students in general that feel like their careers were canceled. Yeah. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how they bounce back from that. How do they create or cultivate a career for themselves in an economy that can't support them. What would your what would your recommendations be there? You know, I think whatever it is that you're you're wanting to do, even if you don't have a job in it, go after it 110%. And and still, you know, I, I can give a couple examples. One is my social media intern that I mentioned earlier. Um, she had planned uh, and uh, had gotten an internship in Nashville. She wants to do um, music uh, publicity. Um, in, in for a record label. So she had gotten an internship doing that in Nashville. Well, COVID-19 comes along and, mm-hmm. and cancels that. And, you know, and I'll say this about my boss, she's incredible and said, you know, come back and work with us intern with us again for the summer. We'll give you a couple hours. So you're not, you know, it was a paid internship. She's not gonna be able right. to get that anymore. So we can at least help her a little bit there. Um, so check with your, your marketers at your school and see if they can help you out. But, um, you know, for her, she doesn't necessarily want to do social media for higher ed. She wants to do publicity in the music industry. So she started a blog on all things music. And I think I haven't visited it recently. I looked at it right after she started. And I think it's maybe specific to country music or a specific type of music that she wants to work in. But it's all, you know, she's talking about what are the latest trends in the industry. She's blogging about all these things, creating content. And, and those are the kinds of things she wanted to do in her internship that she's not able to do, but just because you're not doing it with a company doesn't mean 
you can't still do it. Uh, And I think that's, and honestly, it may even show more about you to whoever it is that's sitting across the hiring table from you, you know, six months to a year from now when all of this is over, that you didn't let a no stop you from what it was you wanted to do. You persevered, you made it work, you thought differently than other people. Some people just throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm going to go, you know, work at Publix, which is great. Right. Go do that because you need to make money. Mm-hmm. But take that time and be intentional on the side and say, yep. I'm going to keep doing what it is I want to do. You know, in, in the journalism world right now, I follow a lot of the the executives from different companies and, and recruiters from different companies. And the thing that they keep talking about is, you know, we've got all this technology at our fingertips that, you know, generations in the past didn't have. And so there's students that are, you know, doing interviews like this with, with subjects on, on the coronavirus or on other things, right. and packaging that down, shooting a, a, a video to intro it on their phones and, and posting it to social. I mean, it's not the same experience that you would get necessarily on a normal newsroom internship, right. but all of us are working from home right now. And you know, it says something that you're persevering and sticking to what it is that you want to do. And you're going, the thing is, and I, I, me and my wife talk about this a lot. I went to a, uh, a public school in South Alabama that was not super well funded, um, was not the, the the golden child by any means. There was a school district down the road that, that was that and had a lot of support. So we didn't have that, but we were all very, you know, we didn't have funding. We were very scrappy students. We knew how mm-hmm. to get someone to donate what we needed or to donate a space for this or to help us with that. And honestly, I will say every person that was involved in a lot of those projects are better for it because we didn't have everything handed to us. It didn't go the way that it does for a lot of people. And we had to be scrappy and figure it out and, you know, kind of zig when everyone else was zagging, if you, I mean, doing things different and being forced to do so it's the, you know, the, it's the, I'm trying to think of the the way to say this, but you know, the the cream rises to the top. I mean, you will stand out because of what you've done during this time. If you, if you do take time to be intentional about what you want to do. Well, you're battle-worn, you know, you're so used to people saying no, or just outrightly knowing, acknowledging that you have less than others, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't even become work to get those things. It's just, it's a part of what you do, and that's it. Um, and, you know, Brandon, I wanted to thank you for using the, the phrase zigging versus zagging. I use that constantly, and no one that I interact with uses it. That's so unfortunate. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Is that, is that, is, is that a Southern phrase? Maybe, or, you know, I don't know why it came to mind. I, I'm not going to lie and say that I use that on a day-to-day basis. Okay. It seemed fitting for the, the analogy yeah. I was going for there. Yeah, I, I use that often. And, you know, I always say like when others are zigging, you zag or whatever. Yep. And uh, it, it warms my heart to hear someone else say it to me. So, <laughs> well, this was great. I, I really appreciate your time and uh, your insights. And, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you about, you know, being dogged and determined and, you know, fighting for, for the opportunities that you want for yourself. I think that's the best way to do it um, in any circumstance, in any context, um, pandemic or not. So thanks again for your time. And out of curiosity, if folks are interested in learning more about you, your background, and what you do, how can they, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'm um, on Instagram. Uh, my handle is 
at Brandon8996. Um, and I'm on Facebook, uh, Brandon Etheridge. Um, and then would love for you to, to follow along with what we're doing at the college. We're at AU Liberal Arts on all social platforms. Personally, I'm not on Twitter. I had a Twitter when I worked in news and just was needed a break. So I'm yep. probably going to be getting back on Twitter sometime soon because it's just there's so much out there um, right. that I would like to be involved in that I can't from necessarily a college's account um, to be able to, to just interact, you know, a lot with the higher ed social community. Yep. But, uh, but you know, the other two platforms, you can find me there and uh, be happy to answer any questions, uh, you know, continue conversation, you know, just cool. feel free to reach out. Sounds good. Thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you on Twitter. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care.